Baseball. I'm Sean. And I'm Ed. And we're here bringing you the baseball history. That's right. We're a bi-weekly baseball history podcast. <laughs> Did I emphasize history <laughs> like that? We're, we're the story catcher. <laughs> Doesn't, Doesn't know what the story pitcher is going to be, be throwing. Yeah, it's going to be telling them. <laughs> and today... I don't know why that was so silly today. I don't know, Etsy. We're all goofed up on pizza over here. Yeah. <laughs> and today, Etsy, you are going to be throwing a perfect game? Yeah. It's certainly not going to be a perfect game. It's going to be a very, uh, it's going to be an unskilled game, I guess. I don't know. I don't want to give too much away if I describing what kind of game i'm going to be throwing so oh, all right we'll just skip well, over that part for now well, just like any other pitcher and catcher duo we will not be talking beforehand <laughs> no uh, communication no communication um you can find us on twitter at doing baseball you can find us on instagram at doing dot baseball we're on tiktok as well i think at doing baseball, Edzy, where can they find you? I'm on Twitter at Eds Do Baseball, and I'm on Twitter at Sean Do Baseball. Check us out. Give us a review. Give us a rating. However, you're listening to us here, there, everywhere, <laughs> and everywhere in between. Of course, thanks for listening. Absolutely, thank you so much. And anything you can do to help, uh, we are always interested in story ideas as well. Uh, but yeah, we also have a sponsor, Etsy. We have a sponsor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Beer. Beer yeah, is beer. our sponsor. Beer and baseball go together in a hot summer day, Sean. They absolutely do. Uh, one of my favorites, Two Loons IPA. Uh, anything really by Two Loons. Uh, Two Loons Brewery. It's amazing. It's fantastic. Uh, I believe their IPA is available in Ontario. And they have a whole bunch of other stuff going on. Check them out. I'm sure there are lots of festivals and festivities. You can check it all out at Two Loons Brewing dot com and of course uh please be of legal drinking age and of course enjoy responsibly that's right so we've got through all of it we've got through all of our business our business our business <laughs> we mean to take care of we 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 chuckled through a little bit of it today oh, but my anyway goodness okay we're having fun we're yeah, having fun we're always here having a good time on sean ned's do baseball so edzy what do you have in store for me today well before i get to it sean i just want to say uh we want to cur- encourage our listeners, as we've done in the last couple of episodes, to uh, donate to Sabre's uh, research initiative that they have going on right now. Uh, we've contributed ourselves because, uh, you know, as we've mentioned before, the the Sabre uh, Foundation or the Sabre Research Group, you know. Whatever. Yeah, just Sabre in general. The organization Sabre in general has been integral to the, to the research that we've done for yeah. this podcast. And I just want to thank them a lot for that and today today will be no different i got a lot of uh my information from a uh, saber biography by gabriel Schechter. okay who also wrote a book on the character that uh, i'm talking about today I, i'm not going to give the title away right now because that'll actually uh, that'll that'll, that'll reveal story. too too much but uh 
you know, I just want to encourage our listeners to contribute to that as well if they if they uh, feel like they can, because uh, you know I don't want to give away too much about our next episode as well. But we're very excited that we had a great guest who was a, a Saber member. So uh, just a little preview thrown to uh, a fortnight from now. That's right, and not just a member, but an award-winning member. Yes, as of yes. 2023. So. Uh, yeah, if you have the means, please contribute uh, to the Saber Research Fund. I believe check them out saber.org, and, and I'm sure you can find it. So, great preface, Edzy. So let's go. Okay, so Sean, uh, we try on this show not to be too topical in our stories. No. And today will be no different, at least once uh, things really get going here. I say this because when I started working on this story, I started by looking into some of the best starts for teams in MLB history. Ooh. Uh, because, as you know, we saw an incredible start to the 2023 season by the Tampa Bay Rays. Oh. I don't want to talk. Yeah, I don't really. <laughs> uh, don't worry. I'm not talking about that for, for, for too much length. The Rays started 13-0. and 0. Yeah. And uh, just, you know, just yeah, uh, yeah, they did. We'll, we'll throw it in there that the Blue Jays were the ones to stop that streak. But, they uh, did, yeah. But anyway, uh, carrying on. Uh, the Rays were also 30-10 and 10 after the first 40 games of the season. Incredible. Which is at a similar pace to the famously successful 2001 Mariners, who started 31-9. and nine. Yep. And the 1998 Yankees, who were also 31-9. and nine. But slightly below the incredible thirty-five and five start by the nineteen eighty-four Detroit Tigers. Oh yeah! Uh, but when I was looking through this list, I wasn't particularly intrigued by these fairly well-known powerhouse teams. At least I guess you could call it recency bias. But you know, anyway, uh, I was actually more intrigued by an older, more forgotten juggernaut that was thirty-three and seven, Ooh. which is the New York Giants. Of 1912. Ah. Okay. All right. Now, of course, the Giants were a great team. Yes. But I learned that their success their success in 1911, where they had a stretch of 39 and 9. Wow. Not to start the season, but there was oh, a stretch. Mid-season. Yeah, mid-season stretch. Uh, was also spurred by the presence of a man whose saber bio, as I mentioned by Gabriel Schechter, describes him as, quote, arguably the least athletic person apart from Eddie Geidel to play in the major leagues. I fucking love it. Yeah. He, is, he is just awful and out of shape. Except for Eddie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Except for Eddie. Yeah. If Eddie wasn't here, you'd look like a real piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> Today, Sean, this man is the subject of this 89th episode of Sean Ned's Do Baseball. <laughs> so just to add context to that quote that I just read from the Sabre bio, for those who are unfamiliar with the name Eddie Guidel, just quickly aside here, he was a little person signed under contract by Bill Veck to play for uh, the Browns, I believe, was the team he owned at the time. Oh, my God. And he was basically just brought in as a publicity stunt in order to draw a walk. Yeah. Because, you know, the strike zone would be very, you know, small. very, very small. The catcher actually in the in the famous picture is on his knees. Yes. Catching catching the, the pitch. So it, it's quite a statement is what I'm saying. But I, I digress. So to get into the story here, October 9th, 1880, Charles Victor Faust was born in Marion, Kansas. To parents Eva and John Faust. All right. Have you heard this name? 
I mean, yes, no, I don't know. I feel like I've probably read it. It, it The last name Faust rings a bell, but I can't picture any team. Obviously, it's going to be the Giants. But, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, you could, no. I don't know who Eddie... Was it Eddie Faust? Charles Faust. Charles Faust. See, I'm making Charlie Faust. Eddie. Yeah, Charlie Faust. So he's born in Marion to his parents, Eva and John. And Marion was and still is a farming community in the Great Plains about 160 miles southwest of Kansas City. Here's a fun fact about Marion. It was named for Francis Marion, who was a brigadier general in the American Revolutionary War. Okay. And he was also known as the Swamp Fox. Oh. Is this some, like, the Patriot shit? Mel Gibson? Yeah, maybe. I, I don't know. I don't talk about him anymore. Just, <laughs> that, was just, that was just a cool fact that about was the just town. a cool fact. You're yeah. just like, yeah. we're a history podcast. That's kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. So Charles was the oldest of the six Faust children, at least half of which were sadly outlived by their parents, oh. as the family was marred by tragedy. One of Charles' brothers... Freddie died in infancy, and then another, also named Fred, passed away as a teenager. Stop damning kids, Fred. <laughs> seems to be a bad one. I want to know if the. I am there assuming was two that friends. the one. No, I'm. Ass, well, I don't know for sure, but I, I'm assuming. That, this is the things we need to research. <laughs> Tough to look up the records of the Faust family in Marion, ah. Missouri in 1880. Yeah, well, you could have jumped on a plane, gone down to this town hall. I could have, but I, I didn't. Continue. So Fred passed away as a teenager, and his sister, named Louise, died at the age of just 32 and was the only one in this line of Faust to bear children of their own. Ah. He also had two older brother, two other brothers, sorry, John and George, who eventually took over the family farm from their fa- from their father, as Charles was apparently, quote, slow-witted at best and was incapable of running the farm, making him a sore disappointment to his stern father, end quote. <laughs> She's not a farmer. No, and and that's all they do in Marion, so, you so know, if you can't like, farm, what can you do? Yeah, so mm-hmm. what does he do? Well, there's not much information to be found about the early days of Charlie Faust's life, but there was a quote within the Sabre bio that shed some light upon it. Quote, it must have been bleak, a child of the plains. He was not compatible with the land, and he had no discernible abilities or prospects for improving his lot. So, you know, as you're getting the idea, this illustrates... Why weren't you like Fred? (laughs) I mean, Fred (laughs) 2. Not Fred 1. He wasn't a good worker. He's still a toddler. (laughs) (laughs) Terrible. (laughs) So, as I'm I'm illustrating here, it's the fact that there's not much hope for Charles' future. Uh, He is seemingly destined to work the farm under his brother's watchful eyes for the rest of his days. That is until one day during the summer of 1911 when the Fouse visited the county fair. <laughs> it seems... It, it, this is amazing. It seems like Charles Faust, like might be, you know, like not... You know, he might be... I think he might be mentally what's handicapped. The, what, what's the... Fuck, what is the, the, the book and the play? Like, old... Mice of Men. Of Mice of Men, yeah. Yeah, yeah. this is this okay. is like a yes. little bit of a Mice of Men. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, okay, so he's a country hayseed that is uh, yeah. not even good at doing that kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. So they so the family goes to the county fair. Yeah. 
right? And at the fair, there was a fortune teller. <laughs> and Charlie Faust enlisted the services of said fortune teller, who told him a number of destinies, including one that he was to marry a California woman named Lulu. But Faust only had enough mental capacity to grasp what was likely his favorite one, or at least, you know, capacity to hold on to what was his favorite one. He was, according to the fortune teller, destined to pitch the New York Giants to the World Series Championship. Okay. This is the best story. <laughs> <laughs> so, Lulu, California, but he's like, I don't care about this California like, Giants. 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 Yeah. I, I found my destiny. Yeah. And he's in Missouri. So, so there's, there's his first problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the first hurdle. So. He's like, I don't know what the New York Giants are, but that sounds like a plan. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's a good question. I wonder if he even knew what that meant at that point. <laughs> Apparently he does this. So he, Charlie puts this little bit of life's very own foreshadowing into his proverbial back pocket. And in late July that summer of 1911, the Cardinals were hosting the visiting New York Giants for a four-game set. And the city of St. Louis was also playing host to the visiting Charlie Faust, who managed to introduce himself to Giants manager John McGraw. That just, hey, how are you? Hey, John, Charlie. Yeah. Fortune teller told me to come here. <laughs> Let <laughs> me get to it. But right. There was an account that said he met uh, McGraw at the team's hotel. Okay. But I prefer the other account. There's another account that uh, he bought a ticket to the game and just wandered onto the field during the batting practice, the pregame warm-ups. And... It's 1911 or whatever. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you can get totally. on the field with a gun. I just imagine yeah. that, like, you could just... In you most know. cases, there's just a rope. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, well, other than behind the plate, where there's just, like, a very small area that is protected. Anyways, go ahead. Mm -hmm. So, so uh, Faust gets on the field and introduces himself to John McGraw, who is apparently especially superstitious. Ooh. So, so Faust tells the especially superstitious McGraw about the fortune teller story, and McGraw quickly agrees to give the odd-looking, lanky, 30-year-old Charlie Faust a tryout. Like, well, uh, during the pregame. That sounds like a plan. What? Like, what? what did I have you no say objections to this fortune teller plan. This sounds great. Get out there on the mound, buddy. <laughs> what size are you? Yeah. Ed. Get, get this guy a uniform. Get this We're guy. going to the World Series. <laughs> did you hear that, boy? Yeah. <laughs> this is Charlie. Yeah. He's our pitcher. <laughs> so, Charlie is not an experienced ball player. And as you might guess, that becomes apparent rather quickly. And Giants fielder Fred Snodgrass described the tryout to Lawrence Ritter when he was interviewed for Ritter's book, The Glory of Their Times. Ah. And he said, quote, his windup was like a windmill. Both arms went in circles for quite a while before Charlie finally let go of the ball. So if you can just like picture that, he's swinging both his arms in the air like he's fucking like swimming or something. And then he finally lets go, and what happens? So hold on, hold on. Snodgrass continues. We, regardless of the sign that McGraw would give, the ball would come up just the same. There was no difference in his pitches whatsoever. 
There was no speed, probably enough to break a pane of glass, but that was about all. So dude's chucking like 65. Yeah, you're just throwing like, you know, like I say, I mean, there probably weren't that many pitches back then, but still, like he was just, his fastball, like you say, it was just being lobbed in there. Yeah, it's like, you know, yeah, just the same pitch over and over again. And they're like, uh, yeah, you, you got guy. anything different? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, check out this one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Do anything. <laughs> yeah, so that's what's going on. So Muggsy McGraw... When he first noticed this was not going to be the next Giants ace, tried to let Charlie down easy and attempted to nicely discourage Faust by ditching his glove while catching the soft pitches from the mound. That's I guess like, you know. I don't need a glove to catch you. Yeah. Why are you here? Yeah, but it was <laughs> it was no issue to Faust because that's what I'm wondering about like <laughs> questioning whether Charlie Faust was really all there because he's like not noticing. He's not catching the signs. You know, yeah, he's not picking up that you know they don't think he's very good and it's apparently quite obvious according to Snodgrass anyway. Okay. Uh, so it was no issue to Faust who continued to lob meatballs over the plate. So McGraw then decided to have a little bit of fun at the expense of Faust. Uh. So he allows Charlie Faust to take a few swings in batting practice. Okay. And when he does connect on one, he tricks Charlie into running the bases. All right. <laughs> I guess he what do you hit, mean tricks? <laughs> like, I guess he hits one. He's like, run, run to first, run oh, to first. Yeah. And he's like, oh, oh shit. And he like, takes off. <laughs> yeah. So he takes off to first. And he he's running the bases while the Giants infielders like intentionally threw the ball away at each base. Ah. So like, you know, he slides into first on a on a bang, bang play. And they intentionally let the ball they're go by. And they're him. like, yeah, they're fucking with him. Yeah. Run to second, Charlie. Oh, run to second. He and, he slides, and he's like in his Sunday back best apparently what he's like in his best clothes and he's like sliding around on the thing just fucking his clothes just up. laughing his ass off yeah yeah so he wound up at home plate with his clothes covered in dust and torn his skin raw but it turned out to be good luck for the giants as they won eight nothing that day what you mean that was good luck <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying we should screw with the guy before every game <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's not really related, but you know yeah. they. So they. Uh, the point is, they win eight nothing that day. Okay. Sure. It's a drubbing. Yeah. When he I... showed up the next day, they put him through the same gauntlet on the field again, <sighs> and they won again. What? What? <laughs> so essentially, he just like throws batting practice, and then they make him run around and get dirty. <laughs> yeah, and they win. And they went. All and right. So uh, and he doesn't know any better. He's like, well, I'm. Uh, he thinks he's like trying out. I assume. Yeah. Right. He thinks he's trying out. Yeah. So so they won again and put Charlie through the ringer again for a third time on Monday in St. Louis, but when they left for and they, which they won again, okay. so they're on a three game winning streak with putting Charlie through this gauntlet. Yeah, it, it, one could the be bases. luck. Two could be coincidence. Three, though, Edzie. <laughs> Three is a winning streak, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so McGraw, or sorry, McGraw gave Faust some good old bullshitting at the train station when they're heading off to Pittsburgh. 
can you go get me a Snickers? Exactly. They send him on a fool's errand, like back to the hotel, like to get his contract or a train I ticket or whatever. I forgot my pocket, Charlie. You need to go pick it up. Yeah, go get my pocket back at the hotel. Ask the receptionist. She'll tell you that my pocket's at the front desk. <laughs> so, so when the Giants arrived in Pittsburgh, they won the first game 8-4, to four, but then struggled the rest of the trip with a four-game losing streak dropping the next two in Steeltown, and then the first two in Chicago versus the Cubs before getting back in the win column in the final game of the road trip. They returned to New York and found the infallible Charlie Faust waiting for them at the polo grounds. <laughs> Wait a minute. So he went from since, or sorry, St. Louis? Back to New York. He was like, oh, I missed the train. Well, I guess I'll just go meet them and... Yeah, just, <laughs> just standing just at the polo at grounds for like a week. Yeah, they said they were going to Pittsburgh. I don't know where they were going. Does anyone have a schedule? <laughs> uh, who are you? Oh no, I'm on the team. <laughs> yeah. I tried out in St. Louis. Yeah, got my Sunday best all dirty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so nothing could shake him from his conviction that he was meant to pitch the New York Giants to the World Series championship. John Wheeler of the New York Herald described Faust's first appearance in uniform at the polo grounds, quote, he runs like an ice wagon <laughs> and slides as if he had stepped off a trolley car backward. He plays ball as if he were a massive mucilage, which is, I didn't know what that was. I don't know What's if you know what mucilage? that is. Mucilage is like, at least in North American terms, like a really viscous glue. Oh. So, so not very fast. Not fast at all. He's basically like a, a extreme way of saying he's slow as molasses. Yeah, he's he's just not athletic. Uh, the sounds of it, even if he's farm built. Mm -hmm. The Giants swept the doubleheader that day. Okay, though. So the streak continues. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I guess. But as we're kind of talking, truthfully, Faust isn't really contributing, on the field at least. Yeah, they gave him a uniform now, kind of, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. For the most part, Faust became part of the pregame show. He would clown around and demonstrate some clumsy slides into the bases. And as I was kind of, like, talking about this whole time, I, I want to note, I, I don't think it was Charlie's intention to be a clown. Like, okay. I think he thought he was good. I think he was, like, I think he thought, like, they were giving him a legit tryout, like, every time they let him go out for the pregame. Wow. Wow. <laughs> and this is at the polo grounds. Yeah. This is, like, the center of baseball universe. Yeah, exactly. And they just got this dude from Missouri. Yeah. In running, uniform, running around and... Clowning around. Terrible for... slides into bases yeah. before the game. Yeah. He's he, he's kind of like a team mascot, I guess. It's, it's a mascot in terrible taste, but... Well, I mean, it's also kind of... Like, I don't know whether to find this fucking cool or not. I would love to just see somebody just, like running around being an idiot on the field before the game, but also, like, not if they're taken, being taken advantage of. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the thing. I'm, like, starting, you know, through doing this research, I'm starting to, you know, question whether Charlie Faust was not taken advantage of. Yeah, whether he was actually situation. a victim of his own clownery. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sometimes he would pitch batting practice, and occasionally big-name batters like Honus Wagner would intentionally strike out to Charlie's BP. 
and he would also shag fly balls in the outfield and would take one off the top of the head on more than one occasion. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> During the game, Charlie also, as you might guess, had some weird habits. Okay. Sometimes he would post up in the bullpen, throwing pitches and getting warm for inning after inning, just in case. <laughs> He was, like, convinced he was going to get put in. Good on that catcher, whoever was warming him up. Yeah. <laughs> warm me up. Warm me up, catch. Warm me up. Yeah, sure, sure, sure Charlie. Charlie. Yeah, okay, Charlie. <laughs> okay. So, so, or... Please, like, I'm just... I'm aching at this point. Mm. Uh, I, I'm. You might hurt me with this, or you might, I might ruin everything, but, like, come on. He's got to get into the game. Yeah, just hold on. Okay, yeah, thank God. Yeah, thank God. Yeah, thank God. Yeah, okay, Sean, continue. All right, here, all right, continue. Yeah, so I get hit on the head more than was during the game. Oh, yeah, okay. Or he'd be sitting on the bench. Okay, so he's in the bullpen or on the bench. You yeah, know, he's probably he's after floating. warming up for the entire game the day before. Right, like I'm my warm. arm's about doesn't, to fall off. Doesn't sound like John's going to need me today, guys. <laughs> I'm just going to take a seat here. <laughs> yeah, so he'd be on the bench cheering on his fellow teammates and making predictions about their hits. <laughs> so, as I'm illustrating, Charlie is a bit, if not completely, delusional. Sure. Right. Why not? He's In the best way, by the sounds of it. Yeah, they're, I mean, he's not hes not causing any problems, obviously. They're winning, so... I mean, and it sounds like he's, like, the best teammate they have. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, he's continuously pestering McGraw to allow him to pitch in a game, but McGraw, being of sound baseball mind and knowing better, continues to brush Charlie off. So, Charlie decides that, in fact, off he will go. To Brooklyn. Yeah, sure. So he goes across town to the Dodgers. He's like, I'll pitch you to the World Series. Maybe he just... I don't know if he actually says that. (laughs) Maybe he just figured out the best way to get the Giants to the World Series was him to pitch for somebody else. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) The fortune teller was right, but I think I figured it out. I've been going about this the wrong way. She said, I'd pitch them to the World Series and say... I'd pitch them. I'd be on them. Anyways. So he joins. Slack the... magic. The plan must be much more clandestine. So he joins the Dodgers from the Giants. No, no. He just goes to say, I want to pitch for the Dodgers. Like, can you, will you let me pitch? And the Dodgers are like, no, you suck, buddy. Like, so. <laughs> okay. So that plan doesn't work. Yeah, so, so Dodgers are like, no, Charlie. Like, you're, you're not good. You're not good. See you later. See you later. Uh, we left our tickets back at the Giants <laughs> Stadium. If you go back and get them, we'll yeah. be right here when you get back. <laughs> so he goes back to the Giants. Yeah. And the Giants are like, whatever, Charlie. <laughs> like, yeah. come and, come we, and hang out. We don't care. So, so after three weeks in New York, his antics and no doubt the success of the Giants while he's been around make him very popular, right? Okay. He was so popular, in fact, that a vaudeville show signed him as an entertainer. He spent three days performing in the show, 
But when the Giants went on a three-game losing streak during this venture, you can't do that. Charlie abandoned show business and returned to the Giants' dugout where he was so dearly needed. Absolutely, you can't. I mean, you can't you can't abandon the boys? Can't yeah. go back on the boys? Well, I mean, that's I mean, that's you having a career that could take you places instead of just being this guy that sits on the bench and never plays for this baseball team. Yeah, but the fortune. <laughs> <laughs> the, de- the fortune the, the, and the and the, the superstition the, of the, McGraw. The prophecy. Yeah. So, uh, so he returns to the dugout just in time for a 22-game road trip, of which they won the first 10 games Jeez. in a row. They didn't lose until the second game of a doubleheader in St. Louis, during which Faust was interviewed extensively by the local beat writers. So they, like, cornered them all, like... After the first game, and like wouldn't let him leave. That's what you know. That's where yeah. it's taken. Yeah, so there's a big scrum around him. Yeah, yeah. And they yep. distracted him for the whole second game. So what? Yeah, the whole game. And that was the implication in 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 the article that I read. So anyway. the 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 St. Louis media conspired to like take him mm-hmm. out of the mm-hmm. game. They're like Charlie Faust is the good luck charm. Let's let's. Uh, Let's We're gonna write a story on how you're the good luck charm during the game. Game one, you won. How about that? Uh, game two is about to start. Why don't you come over here and we'll do an interview? <laughs> Put these handcuffs on. But, you know, we just want to hear a little bit about how you keep winning. <laughs> well, I gotta be on the bench. Oh, really? <laughs> we got a few more questions. <laughs> yeah. So he he he's held up there for a while, and they lose that game, but. So even though the Giants were winning continuously, Charlie Faust was frustrated that he was not being allowed to fulfill the prophecy of his county fair fortune teller to its full extent. John McGraw still refused to let Charlie pitch, despite his relentless pestering. You might question why McGraw would even bother to keep Faust around at this point, but to quote directly from a Saber from the Saber article by Schechter, Quote, McGraw knew it would be a travesty to let Faust into a game, but he also saw how Faust's presence benefited the players. Good-natured and gullible, impervious to ridicule, Faust became the butt of incessant practical jokes, providing a humorous balance to McGraw's harshness that kept up team morale. It wasn't long before the players believed in his infallible jinxing abilities. Even Red Amos, dubbed Calamity, because of his persistent bad luck, became a Faust convert. Early in that September road trip, during which the Giants went 18-4 and and clinched the pennant, Amos declared, quote, I'm glad Faust is going to stick because he certainly has brought good luck to us all. He is a great man for the team, even if he never gets a chance to pitch. <laughs> Look, I, you, can't, you can't argue with results. I mean, I guess... They got a point. Yeah. You know, they they certainly don't need the roster spot, obviously. He's on the roster? I would assume so. I guess. <laughs> Maybe I guess not. it doesn't work like nowadays. I mean, I'm sure there's a finite roster number, but also... I mean, he has a baseball reference. Okay, continue. So, <laughs> <laughs> you keep making me, like, pause and be yeah. like, what the fuck? <laughs> Between the day he and McGraw met in St. Louis to the day they clinched the 1911 pennant, the Giants played to a record of 39-9. and that's, um, that's a great... Yeah. And even more remarkably, when Faust was in uniform, 
and not selling his services to Brooklyn or performing in vaudeville, their record was 36 and two. He was a guy who kept the players loose in the clubhouse and on the field. He entertained the crowds before the game. He helped the team move up in the National League standings. And he became the darling of big city sports writers. There were 13 daily newspapers in New York at the time. So, you know, there was plenty of opportunity for press on Faust at the time. Yeah. After the Giants clinched the pennant with six games left on the schedule... They saw no reason for McGraw to prevent Faust from carrying out his county fair prophecy in full. So on October 7th, 1911, at the Polo Grounds, Charlie Faust entered the game to pitch the ninth inning against the would-be 42-107 and 107 Boston Rustlers in a mop-up role. What's the score? <laughs> uh... I don't even remember okay. at this point. Just I don't continue. have the score at the time. Sorry. I think it's... Uh, Either way, he's, it's yeah. the last inning. Yes, yes. And I'm assuming they're winning by a bunch. Or no, the they're losing. They're oh, losing. the game just doesn't matter. Yes, they're losing. Okay. They've already clinched yeah. and, and whatever. So Charlie's... Yeah. So Charlie's in. It's his inning. major league debut. Yeah. Bill Raritan welcomed him to the big leagues with a long double. Okay. But Faust settled in and got some beginner's luck. The wrestler's pitcher, Lefley Tyler, bunted Raritan over to third on a sacrifice, and another long fly ball was caught for a sack fly sending Raritan home. Then Mike Donlin grounded out to end the inning. All right, that's fine. It's, it's not bad. So a little loud contact, but he got, you know, they small balled themselves to death, and uh, but also got the run, so mm -hmm. yep. inning over. Faust was on deck in the bottom half oh, when the last out was made. Damn it. But apparently, Boston stayed in the field and let Faust bat. That's fucking ridiculous. Wait, did Boston beat them? Boston won. I thought this was Buffalo. No, Boston. Okay, never mind. The Boston Wrestlers. Oh, okay. I thought you said Buffalo Wrestlers. No. All right. Well, no. Anyways, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so Boston Wrestlers, anyway, so they let him bat. And how did yeah. he do? Uh... They would put him through the same. I don't think he did very well because they put him through the same bases circling gauntlet that McGraw oh. did that first day back in St. Louis until they caught him in a rundown just short of home plate. That's fucking hilarious, <laughs> but not hilarious. Yeah. Depending on yeah. <laughs> a few yeah. factors. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Faust left the field exultant, having completed his county fair prophecy against all odds. Well, I mean, he did pitch. Yeah. Yep. And they're going to the World Series. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We, we can forget the fact that, really, his pitching was of no consequence to that pennant. Whatever. But, okay. but, He's got nine ERA. Mm -hmm. it's better than infinity. infinity. Mm -hmm. He got mm -hmm. out of the inning. Mm-hmm. seemed. I don't think Charlie cares or maybe knows. Why does it? Where's the fortune teller in all of this? Do you think she's like chilling there? Like, yeah. I she's do like it. watching the game just from her own house. <laughs> uh, so, Faust left exultant. Uh, McGraw put him in again five days later when he pitched the final inning of the season. And this time he held the stronger competition in Brooklyn scoreless. See Brooklyn? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's all some fucking yeah, gas just, in there. Yeah. 
It's true. Probably had to show them up. So yeah. This time he came to bat legitimately in the bottom of the ninth. Brooklyn pitcher Eddie Dent intentionally hit Faust, allowing him to reach first base. Jesus. The Dodger infield allowed Charlie to steal second and third, likely on defensive indifference as they led 5-1 at this point. Yeah. Faust then scored on a squeeze bunt and finished the season with a one run, two stolen bases, and a 1,000 on-base percentage in zero at-bats. Can't, can't argue with results. <laughs> Sadly for Faust and for the Giants, though, Charlie's streak of good luck hit a roadblock during the World Series. Should have, should have sent him home. Mm-hmm. Connie Max, Philadelphia Athletic, Athletics, who had won the World Series the previous year in 1910, and were in the midst of a dynasty era in which they would win four pennants and three World Series in five years, which were only halted by the 1914 Miracle Boston Braves. That's right. I, I knew this was uh, not going to end mm-hmm. necessarily mm-hmm. positively. Yes. Uh, so the, the Athletics were, needless to say, some pretty stiff competition for the Giants. Yep. But not only were the athletics intense competition on the field, but also in the mascot department. What? Yeah. In the mascot department. Connie Mack employed an experienced mascot, a hunchback dwarf named Louis Van Zelst, who had been on Mack's payroll since 1910 and would remain until 1914. That sentence needs to be written down and put in the frame <laughs> yeah because what the fuck yeah connie mack employed an experienced mascot a hunchback dwarf named lewis van zelst who had been on mack's payroll since 1910 and would remain there until 1914 so mack is just like well you have charlie but let me tell you <laughs> i see <laughs> we're in the national league so you don't really know about us <laughs> Or the, I don't know, the other, American American League, you know. We're a little bit different over here. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my God, what the fuck? So, I have an episode on on mascots and the, what? But I don't don't know know any of this stuff. Okay, well, here's a little little bit of information about Van Zelst. Van Zelst was born in Philadelphia and had developed a hunched back from an injury he sustained he sustained when he was 8 years old that sucks yes he fell and was hurt so badly it resulted in a twisted spine ow so spine's twisted <laughs> in his in his teen years i guess he started hanging out around the penn university campus and became popular at sporting contests okay he eventually got to know a few of the athletics players, including Rube Oldring. And one day in 1909, Van Zelst went over to Scheib Park and asked Mac if he could be a bat boy. Sure. Mac agreed, and since Van Zelst handled the chores perfectly for two days, and the A's won both games, of course, Mac decided to hire the young man for home games the following season. Mm-hmm. He became an integral part of the athletics family, even attending the wedding of Eddie Collins. Sure. Well, I mean, good. Yeah. That's nice that they're including somebody. Like, yeah. Yeah. So he's the bad boy, but he kind of is also like their... Yeah, he's, he's like a member of the team because he, he carried a happy disposition and apparently was not the least bit self-conscious about his hunched back. Sure. 
and he even encouraged A's players to rub it for good luck. That's a little fucked up. <laughs> yeah. That's that's where that's where I mean, if he's in, I can't I can't shame him for that. If mm-hmm. he wants people to touch it, then let him, let people touch it. That's a, something that we're going to cut up in the future and mm. put on an intro that's going to sound weird. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so the Giants fell to the Athletics in six games, and Charlie Faust's good luck bubble had burst. A few weeks later, in mid-November, he had a disastrous second try at Vaudeville. Faust performed so terribly in his first show at Willie Hammerstein's Victoria Theatre that the next act refused to follow him. <laughs> Like, no, nah, we're not. Fuck that. We're not going out there. Yeah, that was really bad. We're actually just Did you like, see how covered in tomatoes that guy got? We are not going out there. We're actually just going to rethink our whole lives. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, this is the end of vaudeville, folks. Also, what are the odds that McGraw was like, hey, Charlie, you ever got your spine twisted before? <laughs> yeah. You ever considered falling off a three-story building? I mean, it's for the World Series, bud. Next year. Think of what the fortune teller said. <laughs> yeah. So he returned home to Marion, Charlie did, yeah. for the winter. And then in February of 1912, he traveled to Hot Springs, Arkansas, and attached himself Willie Mays Hayes style to spring training camp of Bill Dallin's Brooklyn Superboss. Okay. Odd that he's just with another team. <laughs> he just like... He's like, this looks like the, looks like they're playing baseball. This will work. I guarantee you, it was like, I've played for the Giants. <laughs> they were like, you're on the team. And yeah. This dude sucks. This guy's terrible. <laughs> Do you see him Throws slide? 45. <laughs> Do you see him slide? Why is he wearing a suit? <laughs> <laughs> you guys don't all play in suits? <laughs> this is how I tried out for the Giants. <laughs> he said his goal was to learn to pitch left-handed. So that he would be twice as valuable to John McGraw. This he's is... like trying out for another team and he's like, teach me how to pitch left-handed so I can go pitch for Listen, someone against you. Look at this right arm right here. <laughs> how much heat I can throw with it. Now think about what I can do with the left one. <laughs> it's been resting this whole time. Yeah, resting the whole time. <laughs> so how is this allowed? <laughs> I don't know. It's, 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 it's just the 10s. It's I the know. 1910s. Man. Continue. So, it's just weird. Apparently, McGraw was surprised to learn that Faust even intended to rejoin the Giants. He was like, we never sent him a contract. <laughs> that was, uh, no, he, yeah. he's not. Like the Super Boss called up John McGraw and we're like, hey, John, uh, one of your guys is here. That Charlie Faust guy is here. He's at our camp. He's like, I didn't even. I didn't call that guy. Who? (laughs) So on February 29th, 1912, Leap Day, Faust was allowed to pitch an entire game in Hot Springs, and he would hold his opposition to just four runs. There you go. Which only confirmed in his mind that he could be a real pitcher if given the chance. Well, I guess he could. I mean... Sure. The results speak for themselves. I mean, that's one game. (laughs) So when camp broke and ended, he pestered McGraw once again. And even though the Giants no longer would pay for any of his expenses on road trips, he was allowed to hang around the polo grounds and around the team as usual like he did in 1911. (laughs) Listen, kid, we're tired of sending you back to the hotel and then ditching you. (laughs) You stay in New York. (laughs) Just sleep in the dugout. 
Well, we're not there. Just, uh, just, I, I guess, just send a telegram. <laughs> <laughs> so the 1912 Giants got off to one of the best starts in history. They had a record of 54 and 11 by late June. That was way better than Tampa. At setting the standard that was chased by the 84 Tigers, 98 Yankees, 2001 Mariners, and for a while the Rays this year. Yeah. Giants won over 80% of their games during the days that Faust was with the team, but his constant hounding McGraw, a crusty man at the best of times, apparently wore thin on the manager. McGraw had, if I may quote again from Schechter's article at Sabre, quote, came to regard him, him being Faust, as no longer a laughable innocent, but as a demented threat. (laughs) (laughs) It's one. (laughs) You allowed this. Yeah. Yeah. It's the problem you created. Yeah, it was your idea. You did this. Yeah. You're like, yeah, um, this guy says a fortune teller <laughs> is going to let us win the World the, Series. You know, how, uh, yeah. you know how easy that conversation was to shut down? <laughs> yeah. You know how far this has gone? Yeah. It's been almost a year. <laughs> this is, okay. <laughs> so, uh, Faust would not leave. It wasn't until a few of the Giants players were able to persuade him somewhat deviously to return to Kansas and await the call of the Giants because... Or wait, sorry. Wait, <laughs> wait the call of the Giants because it would soon be obvious how helpless they were without him. Just go home. Like, Just, Just go, go home. home. We'll, we'll suck. We'll be terrible without you. And then... They'll and see. They'll, they'll see. see. He just needs to calm down and we'll go on a losing streak and... They'll call you. We'll throw a few games, yeah, Charlie. Don't fine. worry about it's it. It's fine. <laughs> you want to bet on him? <laughs> <laughs> and of course, Sean, as soon as Faust left, the Giants started to suck. Oh, I love it. Especially Rube Marquard, <laughs> who, <laughs> yeah. who was 33-2 while Faust was around. Wow. Rube had won his first 19 decisions in 1912, but in the week after Faust left back to Kansas, he lost three times and was below 500 the rest of the season. Well, once again, motto of the show, you can't argue with results. <laughs> That's true. Yes, yes. The moral of today's story is you can't argue Correlation with Correlation equals causation, Etsy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so even though the Giants led in the standings, or sorry, even though the Giants' lead in the standings had all but disappeared, Ooh. McGraw had no intention of balking and bringing Faust back. Despite the bad skid, the team wound up winning the pennant. But again, they lost the World Series. Mm-hmm. Faust never got near the major leagues again. Fuck. Although he did try. Okay. He peppered McGraw in the National League office with requests for reinstatement on the team, with back pay for his contributions to their pennants. At, I mean, at this point, yeah. Like, okay. I mean, why not? Sure. <laughs> I mean, I'm on his side for that. But, like, once again, you could have just said no. <laughs> Yeah. Being like, this guy's a little bit off. He moved to California. Okay. Oh, shit. <laughs> He's probably like, one thing off the list. <laughs> Time to go find my wife. <laughs> Lulu. <laughs> Just wandering the Sierra yeah. Nevada. Yeah. He did some odd jobs here and there, and then he shipped up to Seattle to join his brother John while continuously petitioning for his return to New York. And gradually, the delusions overtook his mind completely. Ah, uh, no. 
So in July 1914, he attempted to rejoin the Giants to stop the aforementioned Miracle Braves, I assume. Well, wow, absolutely. <laughs> Megan McGraw's just like, Where, where's that guy that was here three yeah, years ago or two years ago? Where's Faust? Where's Faust? You told, him, you told us to send him home. He's still looking for the tickets. He's really, it was really mean, John. It was really mean. That guy wasn't Find right. Find him again. <laughs> Bring him to me. <laughs> so he walked from Seattle to Portland where Fair. police found him wandering the streets in a daze well <laughs> that's a long way to go <laughs> well you like Jesus Christ they didn't find him before then no apparently not I, he might have taken a bus I don't think there was was there buses sure there's yeah, buses probably. yeah maybe horse yeah. horse yeah. bus Anyway, it says he walked. Yeah, but. I know, and I believe it, but also I don't. Well, anyway, in, in any case, regardless of how he got there, the police found him wandering the streets of Portland in a daze. Sure. And he was sent to a mental hospital in Salem, Oregon. And on the admission form, he listed his profession as professional ball player. Absolutely. As well, one as well. I mean, yeah. he, he was. That was the last thing he did. Yeah, sure. He was diagnosed with dementia after seven weeks in the hospital and released into the care of his brother, at which point they returned to Seattle. Later that year in December, Charlie was remanded to the Western State Hospital, where he may have contracted tuberculosis, the disease that ultimately claimed his life on June 18th, 1915. Holy, that soon? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, very quick. Uh, he was buried in an open field across from the hospital, and his story appeared to be buried along with him as he evaporated from public consciousness for over 50 years. And it wasn't until Lawrence Ritter interviewed Fred Snodgrass for his 1966 book, The Glory of Their Times. Which I'm reading. Yes, which Snodgrass, in his interview for the book, as we t uh, talked about earlier, told the captivating tale of Faust, another real-life Forrest Gump, who through audacity more than ability and probably through social ineptitude made an incredible impact on the Giants team for almost a full year. Since then, Faust has become a cult figure to oddball baseball history buffs such as ourselves. Sure. And as I see it quite deservedly so, considering the incredible streak of luck he brought the Giants and the performance of the team while he was in their ranks and in their uniform. Dude, that was a fucking tale. Yeah, it's the story of Charlie Faust, man. It's like a, a guy who, I mean, it's cer he certainly lived up to, you know, the quote from the Saber bio at the beginning, where, you know, the, the least athletic guy since Eddie Guidel, or like, you know, come before, before right? Eddie Guidel, whatever. Yeah, well, I mean, that was just, that was just, uh... That took me places I didn't expect to go. <laughs> and that was, a, yeah, well, and that was all within, like, five years. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely wild. It wasn't even five years. That was one season. Well, I know, but I mean, like, the whole, like, from the fortune teller to the end kind of thing. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, I guess. It was four It was four years from, from the time he went to the county fair in probably, like, yeah. spring of, two, of uh, 1911. And yeah. then was, was on, was quote-unquote on the Giants from, you know, August until june of the next year that's fucking yeah 
Well, that was the story. Uh, that was awesome. That was quite something. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I have no notes. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I had a great time telling that story and, and, and researching that story. That was, yeah. that was, that was fun. I, as I was going through, I didn't expect to stumble upon the fact that they also faced another team that had like a, a person it, that was like kind of a mascot. Yes. Like, yeah. Like, you know, because of their you yeah, know, in, disfigurement yeah. or like, you know, disposition. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, <laughs> oh God. Um, Wow. Well, uh, baseball is fucking crazy, and that's why we do this podcast. So, thank you so much. Um, I mean, I'm so glad. Uh, you know, as I say, I think whatever Lawrence Ritter or whatever the, the, the glory of our times. Reading that book, it's it's quite something. It's just like as I say, a plethora of of these old stories like this. So, thank you so much. Yeah, I that's 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 a great book that uh, you know sort of I guess spurred. Uh, the, the, the modern resurrection of yeah. of, uh, of Charlie Faust story, yeah. but I also want to, you know, my the a lot of the information that I got myself personally was was from uh, Gabrielle Schechter. So I just want to shout out to yeah. that article at Saber and also uh, to to their book uh, Victory Faust, the Rube who saved McGraw's Giants. Oh, amazing! So ch- ch- check out the book. I'm sure that's much more in depth than than the article that's at Saber dot org but uh again uh let's encourage our listeners that if 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 you're interested in in baseball histories as much as we are sabers a great resource to to find that kind of stuff and and you know it 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 can only continue and be better through like the donations of like the people that use it so yeah uh please if you can donate it to it because we love it and we use it and you know we think it's a great resource for everybody yeah and there's a lot of great resources out there as well like there is uh i'm, I'm sure one day maybe we'll have an actual website we'll create a list of some of the fantastic uh you know as i say the negro league museum great stuff there's cooperstown obviously yeah but either way saber uh thanks so much uh for for looking that up reading that coming through with that edzy uh, where can the people find us on the internets? Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Doing Baseball and on Instagram at Doing Baseball and on TikTok as well at Doing Baseball. I am on Twitter at Sean Do Baseball. I'm also on Twitter at Ed's Do Baseball. And give us a follow there. Give us a comment, whatever. Give us a review. Give us a, a, a like, whatever. Follow. I don't care. End of the episode. It's hot in here. Uh, <laughs> Anyways, look out for our next episode. We have a very special guest coming your way. A little bit of a different kind of style. We can tease that out a little bit over these next two weeks. If you're listening in... Award-winning guest. Award-winning guest. Very excited. Until next time, I'm Sean. And I'm Ed. And we have been bringing you the baseball history. Thank you so much. Okay, bye.
<laughs> no. Now we're doing another pizza test. Oh, God. Oh. <laughs> I'm wiping myself. <laughs> yeah, turn the mics down a little bit. Okay. Here, I'm going to, actually, I'm going to do a pizza test. Yeah, we can't Let's do see. this oh. whole episode with a slice of pizza in second, front of us. Second pizza test. Mm -hmm. No, I'm going to mm. save this one because uh, I like it when it gets a little bit cold. I bought you a whole fucking pizza, dude. It's all yours. You can take it home. I'm going to take it home. Mm -hmm. I'm going to have it for lunch tomorrow. Mm hmm. Thank you. No problem. Thanks for coming. All right. Thanks for coming out. <laughs>